Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Once again, we're looking at Paul's martyr song in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. This is a song that Paul quotes in his letter to Timothy and tells him that the saying is trustworthy. The words of the song are reliable. They speak truth to him, a truth that he should cling to even in difficult times, even in times of persecution. And indeed, as we saw last time, in times of martyrdom. So hear the word of the Lord. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Father, we ask that in your faithfulness you would speak to us, but you recognize our infidelity, and yet you are faithful. We ask that you would minister and heal us in Christ's name. Amen. As soon as the presents are wrapped and under the tree, the torture begins. I still have a childlike desire for presents. And so I sympathize young people with how it can feel sometimes. Christmas is an abstraction until you see those wrapped boxes and know that some of them are meant for you. And then suddenly, Days feel like an eternity, an eternity of suffering and temptation. And all you can think about is the moment when it will be okay to unwrap the presents and start playing with them. And as it gets closer and closer, you feel the anticipation. And then right before it happens, your parents say, oh, we have to go to church tonight for an hour. And you're like, no, it seems like all life is conspiring to prevent you from receiving the thing that you want. The moment the gifts are there, the moment you can see them and touch them and shake them and try to guess what they are, you say, I can't wait. Can I open one now? We have some early presents, perhaps. That sort of thing. As you grow older, for most of us, not for all of us, but for most of us, maturity sets in, and you start to realize that there there are some good things about having to wait, even having to wait for presents that you're dreaming about. Sometimes having to wait teaches you to appreciate things more. Sometimes it teaches you what we might call the pleasure of anticipation. As you grow older, you start to realize there's an enjoyment to be had from just the the sense of promise that there are good things for you that are coming. In fact, you begin to realize that no actual unwrapping can measure up to the unwrapping that you've been dreaming of. That that every Christmas you've ever experienced has been followed by a sense of, I need more gifts. We never look back and say, you know what? Last Christmas was so good. I think we can skip this one. I don't need anything. No one ever feels that way because it's not the receipt of the gifts. Sometimes that that gives us most, it's that sense of expectation and promise 
the gifts that we savor in our imagination, what it will be like when they are unwrapped. Keep that in mind. Keep that thought in mind that there's a torture that comes from waiting, but also some good lessons that we can learn as we look at these words that Paul quotes. So we're looking at the second statement that starts the beginning of verse 12. So last week we saw, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. And now we're going to think about the next line. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If you think of those two phrases together, you can see that once again, it feels a little bit like Hebrew poetry. Remember, Hebrew poetry will, will make a statement and then repeat the same idea in different words. And that's how we know it's poetry, because Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. It uses these kind of repetitions, these parallels, in order to speak poetically. But again, this is a line that repeats its core idea, but also develops it, changes it in a significant way. So last time we saw a paradox, the idea that you must die in order to live. And now we're introduced to a similar but slightly different paradox. We must endure in order to reign. We must endure in order to reign. Now, that idea, that sort of spiritual wisdom, that's an old friend of ours in different clothing. Right? This is a familiar idea to us from Paul's epistle to the Romans. It's, it's the idea that, that uh, in the life of Christ and in the life of Christ's people, humiliation leads to exaltation. And that's normal. That's not uh, the plan going off the rails, that's not a sign that things aren't going the way God intended. That's the way it's meant to be. The pattern of Christ's life, the pattern of our life, humiliation leads to exaltation. In Romans 8, verses 16 and 17, which you have before you in your order of worship, Paul writes, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So you see the pattern there in Paul's writing. We suffer with him, humiliation, in order that we may be glorified with him, exaltation. That's the pattern. That's the norm. And that's what this song is singing about. If we endure we will also reign with him. So to understand why this song speaks so deeply to Paul and should speak so deeply to us, there's two questions we have to ask, pretty obvious questions. The first is, what does it mean to endure? And the second is, what does it mean to reign? So we'll start at the beginning. What does it mean to endure? What does it mean to endure? This may surprise you, but in the British Army of old, when people used to line up in lines and, and take turns shooting muskets at each other, cannon, that sort of thing, it was considered bad form for officers to duck. If you saw someone on the other side of the field who was readying his rifle and aiming at your brightly colored uniform, and you realize this guy's about to shoot me, it was not the done thing to get out of the way. If you were an officer, you stood there upright and proudly, and you did not duck. They took this kind of thing very 
seriously. They didn't change direction or course. They didn't get out of the way just because somebody was shooting at them. Instead, they stood firm. They stood firm as if incoming fire was beneath their notice, as if they had more important things to think about, like their honor and whether or not they were shot. Now, some took this to extremes. You perhaps have heard the story of Lord Nelson, the hero of Trafalgar, hence his statue in London is in Trafalgar Square. Well, he got killed at the Sea Battle of Trafalgar, and he got killed for a reason that we would scratch our heads at, because the snipers on the enemy ships would always target people who looked important, and Lord Nelson had won a lot of medals and insisted on wearing them when he went into battle. And his men said, you know, actually, you should take those off because they make you a target. And instead, he wore all of them during the battle. And sure enough, he was shot by snipers. And there's a famous painting of him laying, bleeding, dying on the deck of his ship. And everybody back home said, man, Lord Nelson, what an idiot. He should have ducked. Not at all. He was considered a hero. He was a paragon of nobility. Because as I said, just because people are shooting at you doesn't mean you should change direction, doesn't mean you should get out of the way. Instead, you should stand firm, or so they thought. Endurance, what does it mean to endure? To endure is to remain faithful under duress. To endure is to remain faithful under duress. Those men were under duress, and they stood firm. We look at that and think, no, 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 that's crazy. That is insane. The reality is endurance often looks like insanity to people who are not committed to enduring, to people who are not determined to remain faithful under duress. Battlefields are one thing, but what about everyday life? To endure is to remain faithful under duress. In marriage, To endure is to keep your vows. People get married and they they say these fancy words to one another. And sometimes it's hard to imagine that the commitments being made in that moment might actually be tested. That the in sickness and in health part, it might actually come true. The reality is it always comes true. Those vows that are taken in very... Romantic settings are always tested. To endure is to keep your vows, as simple as that. In the life of faith, it's similar. You might think of it as being almost exactly the same. In faith, to endure is to keep your vows. Think about the membership vows that we take when we join the church, those commitments that we make before Christ's people and before God himself to endure is to keep those vows under duress when they are tested or to use Paul's words in Hebrews 10, 23, to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The very idea of endurance presupposes hardship. If you've been called to endure then you should assume that hardship is going to be part of your lot in life. There's actually no nobility in faithfulness without hardship. Don't congratulate yourself that you remained faithful to Christ right up until the moment you were tempted. 
I kept true to Christ. I didn't follow other saviors, other hopes, other comforts, right up until they propositioned me, and then, of course, I fell. There's no nobility in that. There's nobility in endurance. The Bible never praises those who are faithful right up to the moment of temptation. Not much of a boast. Rather, the commitment is to endure, to remain faithful under duress. If you think about it, you only need songs like the ones Paul quotes here if you are going to face hardship. If the kind of commitment that you've been called to is going to result in hardship, then you need words like this. If you've been called to a life of of peace and tranquility and, and no suffering, you wouldn't need words like this to get you through a moment of, of difficulty and doubt because you wouldn't have those moments. The fact that we're given the words tells us what to expect. Paul is equipping us here with encouragement so that we might remain faithful under duress. We endure, we will also reign with him. The promise of a future reign is meant to encourage those who right now are enduring hard trial, who are not reigning, those who are at the bottom, not the top. When you find yourself in that place of humiliation, it is encouragement to know that if we endure, we will also reign with him. Thing is, if God gives you a song for hard times, you should expect hard times. You should expect those trials to come. And that leads to a lesson, the first lesson of this sermon. There's going to be three, hopefully, by the time we're done. The first one, pretty easy. Never be surprised by spiritual hardship. Never be surprised by spiritual hardship. Because spiritual hardship is built into the job. The need to endure should never catch you by surprise, never be something you didn't expect. You took vows, and then those vows were tested. Don't react in a stunned way. I never saw this coming. Built into the job description. Or to keep with our uh, war metaphors, as Captain Winters says, to uh, Jimmy Kimmel, who is encouraging him to retreat along with everybody else at the Battle of the Bulge. He says, you're going to be surrounded. And Captain Winter says, we're paratroopers. We're supposed to be surrounded. And in those words, he shows he has a completely different understanding of his mission compared to everyone else around him. When suffering comes, when hard times, trials come, remember, we're Christians. We're supposed to go through hardship. We're supposed to go through trial and testing. And we've been given a song cling to in our hearts in that day of trial. You might call this the mindset of endurance. The mindset of endurance. As a believer, never be surprised that you will be tested, that you'll be called upon to endure and to remain faithful under duress. But what does it mean to reign? Talking about endurance, what does it mean to reign? There's a passage in a book of Robert Farrah Capens that I always think about. Uh, it's a weird sort of passage. He's talking about walking and lessons he's learned just by going out and rambling, just walking. And there's a, a, a sort of, uh, I don't even know how to describe it exactly, but like a stand of marsh reeds in the water along the path that he walks in. 
And so he engages in a kind of thought experiment having to do with those reeds. He says, the next time you walk past a bank of reeds, try something. Pick out the tallest one you can reach and cut it off with your penknife as close to the ground as possible. In the carrying of it, you will make a discovery. Keep a record of your reactions. It is impossible simply to carry a marsh reed. Or how will you hold it? Level? Fine. But it is ten feet long and plumed in the bargain. Are you seriously ready to march up the main street of town as a knight with lance lowered? Perhaps it would be less embarrassing to hold it vertically. Good. It rests gracefully in the crook of your arm. But now it is ten feet tall and makes you the bearer of a fantastic mace. What can you do to keep it from making a fool of you? To grasp it with one hand and use it in your walking only turns you from a king to an apostle. You see what you have discovered? There is no way of bearing the thing without becoming an august and sacred figure, without becoming yourself carried back to Adam, the first king and priest. So much so that most men will never finish the experiment. The reed, if cut at all, will never reach home. Humankind cannot stand very much reality. The strongest doses of it are invariably dismissed as silliness. But the word silly comes from selig, and selig means blessed. You ever want to walk your native ground in the sceptered fullness of the majesty of Adam? I commend the marsh reed to you. Whatever embarrassment it may cause you will be an embarrassment of riches. I go walking. I've never tried this, but I've imagined it. The awkwardness of carrying this thing, of being seen by people, and the strange transformation that it brings. It becomes a lance, a scepter, the way a king would bear. Um, and reminds us of a nobility that we possess that is difficult and embarrassing for us sometimes to think about. Connects us to Adam, the first priest and king. It connects us to a sense that we were created for more than the everyday lives that we live. What does it mean to reign? If we endure with him, we will also reign. What is being promised in those words? I'll tell you what's not being promised, what those words don't mean. They don't mean what you might assume, um, that we will lord it over other people. We will get to be kings and boss people around. It's sad that right now we're at the bottom, but one day with Jesus we will be at the top and we'll be the ones who are bossing everybody around. The reason we know that's not what it means is that Jesus himself says, no, that's not the way it works. Matthew 20, 25, and 26, he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. So when the Bible promises that we will reign, it doesn't mean that we will abuse authority the way the kings of the earth do. Something else is involved there. To think about it, you might think about another instance, some other words of Jesus. This is from Luke chapter 23, verses 42 and 43. This is the moment where uh, the thief on the cross calls out to Jesus and asks to be remembered to him. Remember, there's a back and forth dialogue in Luke's gospel between the two thieves, one sort of mocking Jesus and the other saying, hey, we deserve to be here, but he does not, defending Jesus, and then he turns to Jesus 
And this is how Luke writes it. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. When you, Jesus, come into your kingdom, if we endure with him, then we will come into our kingdom with him. What does it mean to come into your kingdom? It means to gain the inheritance that was promised to you. That all the good things that were promised to you have come to you. You have inherited. Reign is about more than just rule. To reign is also to have your royal identity acknowledged. To be acknowledged as the one who is worthy to participate in the worthiness of Christ. So another way of putting that, a simpler way, exaltation. Exaltation. That crowning moment of exaltation, of praise, of saying, you are a king. Just as in our suffering, we participate in the suffering of Christ in our exaltation. We participate in the reign, the royal reign of Jesus Christ. Just as the reed scepter ennobles you with the majesty of Adam, who after all was made to reign over all creation, sharing in Christ's inheritance cloaks us with his majesty, with his exalted identity. And to have a share in that identity, in that majesty, in that glory is worth the price of endurance. And that's why the words stir the heart of those who suffer. There's a lesson there too. Lesson number two. When you have to endure, keep your eyes focused on the future reign. Don't be surprised, number one, when you have to endure. Number two, when you endure, keep your eyes focused on the promise of good things to come, on the future reign, the participation in the glory, the exaltation of Jesus Christ, which means that you judge the present in terms of the promise of what is to come. If the first lesson was like the mindset of endurance, think of this as the focus of endurance. When we endure, we keep our eyes fixed on the future. We keep our eyes focused on the reign that is to come. If you turn to your Bible, take a look at book of Revelation chapter 22. This is close to the end of the book of Revelation, but there's a vision there of ruling and reigning that I think helps us see what's going on here. Helps us understand what that future that's been promised looks like. So we're talking here about the new Jerusalem. We're talking about God's presence among his people and what that will be like. And John sees a vision of this and then he describes it in these words. So this is Revelation 22, starting in verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And they will reign with him forever and ever. 
That's your future. That's the future reign that has been promised. And if that's your future, then final lesson, lesson number three, that's your future, then endure like a king. Endure like a king. Talked about the mindset and the focus of endurance, but perhaps the most important thing, what we might call the dignity of endurance. Yes, you will walk through days of suffering and trial. Yes, there will be humiliations ahead, but you will also be walking through those humiliations as a son or daughter of the king. You will be walking through those days as a royal priesthood. And so endure your struggle like a king does. Suffer the way a king does, with dignity and with determination. Determination and dignity kind of go together. The the determination to remain faithful under trial has an inherent dignity to it. It, It's a dignity that we sing about. I'm going to lower the tone a little bit, but Whitney Houston sang about this kind of dignity in a horrible a uh, cliche-ridden song. But uh, there's one line that kind of stood out. She says, or saying, no matter what they take from me, they can't take away my, I won't ask you to complete, dignity. Dignity. Which always reminds me of the dying words of Cyrano de Bergerac uh, in the play. Cyrano de Bergerac, his enemies who he's fought his entire life uh, with their deceit and their hypocrisy and all the things that he hated, finally uh, managed to ambush him and mortally wound him. And as he's dying, of course, he gives a long speech. And at the end, he says, they've taken everything from me, but there's one thing they cannot take from me. It's my panache or my plume, my, my glory. Right? They've taken everything from me but that. More determined still, more inspiring to us, the words of Martin Luther, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. To speak of something that most people would say is the most important possession you have, as if you would gladly lose it in the cause of a greater value, is astonishing. That's endurance that we've been called to, to endure our struggle the way a king would endure, to endure with our eyes focused on the promise to be faithful under duress. But of course, the question is, is there any hope for those who aren't? Is there any hope for those who are not faithful when tried? And the answer, of course, comes to us from the life of Peter, who was tried and was anything but faithful, who denied Christ at the crucifixion, and yet now reigns with him. And therefore, the answer must be yes, there is hope for those who are not steadfast in trial. The reason there is hope is because Jesus endured his trials like a king. He endured like a king for our sake. The martyr's song is not saying, if we're good enough, if we die, then we will earn life. If we endure, then we will merit a crown. That's not what the song is about. The song is about Jesus. If we die with him, if we endure with him, then we will live with him and we will reign with him. It's not about us. It's about him and what he has done and who he is 
changes us and what we are and what we do. If we endure, it's not so that we can earn the things. We don't need to earn them. They've been promised to us already. If we endure, it is because we are inspired by the example of the one who endured all things for us. Jesus died and was raised from the dead. Jesus endured humiliation and has now been exalted, and you are his. So follow him in life and in death. Follow him in life and in death. That's the real lesson here. So under the tree, this Christmas and every Christmas, there is a gift for you, a crown. You may be (laughs) chomping at the bit, anxious to get there, ready for the end to come. But God in his wisdom has decided it would be good for us to wait. It would be good for us to learn patience and to endure it, to savor what it means to live in anticipation of his promises. And yet, knowing it's there, knowing that crown is there, should change everything about how we wait, about how we live as we wait. Don't whine. Why can't I have it now? Why do I have to wait? Instead, Wait, endure with your head up. Endure like a king would endure. Endure as one who knows that the crown that has been promised will be placed on your head. And as you are tested and as you are tried, remember to act like who you are. Remember to act like what you will be. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.